We sing better than we live. I say that. Do you know that? Was your sin upon His shoulders? Is it finished for you because He finished it? That's the blessed life. That's what we're going to talk about today. You may be seated. Sermon comes earlier uh, when we're doing communion. You want to turn back to Romans 4. We'll be looking there and talking about the blessed life. I'm going to pick up this morning and read from the first verse in chapter 4 through the 8th verse. Um, we'll set it all in context in a minute, but just want to read that scripture and pray first. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Thus far God's word, let's pray. Lord, we pray for that conviction, that assurance, that hope. We pray for spiritual health that comes as we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Christ and place all of our hope in Him. Help me to preach Your Word this morning. Help us to hear it as Your Word. To love You through it, to hide it in our hearts, to understand it and live in its light. To mine a little deeper the truth that you count righteousness apart from works. That you justify the ungodly. Work has been done that is sufficient, but it was done by Christ. So help us to trust His righteous life, His sacrificial death, His glorious resurrection and reign. It's coming again someday. Help us to trust you, Lord Jesus. So help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit and help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. Bless and build and unify and grow and transform and revive your church for your glory and our good. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. What is the blessed life? Is it health? Is it wealth? Is it family? Is it jobs? Is it lots of vacations? These things are surely blessings. But don't you see, unbelievers enjoy all these things. And none of these things are a sure sign of the true blessed life. And you can live a blessed life without any of those things. You won't believe that, do we? So see, these things can't define what it means to be truly blessed by God. Richly blessed. Highly blessed. Blessings that count for eternity. Blessings that fuel hope and and peace and joy and faithfulness to God. The best they can do is temporal happiness. Christ has purchased more for us. This is what we want to think about today before we celebrate communion. How does God's Word define the truly blessed life? What are the blessings that are essential so that without them, no matter how many of the other temporal blessings we have, we are not living the truly blessed life? And why am I focusing on the blessed life this morning? Well, we have three verses before us. And three times it is mentioned, blessing or blessed, in these three verses. So whenever you see something like that, you can circle it and watch it and let it speak to you that that that's a a big component of what we're looking at in verses 6, 7, and 8. What does it mean to have the blessing of God, to be blessed? Why is it mentioned three times? Today we are going to look at verses 6 to 8 and talk about the blessed life to see if we can define what what the truly blessed life is. And in this word, in this section of the word, we're going to see the word count or credit twice as well. Imputation is a big part of of the blessed life. Where have we gone so far in Romans? We've seen Paul introduce himself to the, to the Roman church and declare his love for them and desire to be with them. We've seen him give his thesis statement in chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, uh, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. For the Jew first, and the Jew, then the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So he is talking about the gospel. He's talking about how we might be righteous before God. And he's showing us that there's only one way. So in in chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, he showed us that both Gentile and Jew fall short of the righteousness of God. Our sinners need a Savior. There's no one who can justify themselves on the entire planet who has ever lived other than Jesus Christ. So he he sums up that section telling us that none of us are going to be saved by our law-keeping. The law shows us what sin is, what lawlessness is. The law shows us, first first and foremost, the law shows, shows us our problem. 
and shows us that we need a salvation that comes from outside of ourselves because we cannot save ourselves. So we look to Christ and receive Him. And that's what the, the, the turn that he makes in verse 21. The righteousness of God that has been manifested is the righteousness that God requires and God has performed in His Son. Jesus said it, uh, His mission was to fulfill all righteousness, to save His people. And He's done that. So we've talked about justification by faith alone uh, from verses 21 of chapter 3 up through the end of the chapter. We've begun chapter 3 and talked about Abraham and used him as exhibit A of justification by faith alone. And now Paul turns and uses David as exhibit B. Turns the corner in verse 6 from Abraham to David just as David was blessing of the Lord. Blessed, blessed. We, we want to know what that means. Main point we're going to try to See that this text teaches us that the blessed life is both having Christ's righteousness imputed to us and our sin imputed to Him. Him taking our sin and giving us His righteousness. That great exchange that theologians talk about. So first, the blessed life is having Christ's righteousness. And he says, so if you look in verse 6, he says, he's used Abraham. He showed that the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, just like Abraham, his faith is counted as righteousness. And now he turns the corner in verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness if we're good enough. Apart from works. Flip that, as a free gift. We don't deserve it. But his exhibit B here is David. Think about David. David was, was said to be a man after God's own heart. David was God's choice to be king in place of wicked Saul. He did good for a while, didn't he? But what happened to David? He became an adulterer. And it, was, it got worse. That sin always costs us more than we want to pay and takes us farther than we want to go, doesn't it? He became a murderer. Yes, through the hands of others, but he was a murderer. An adulterer, a murderer, one who has destroyed a family and taken a woman not his own. And, and there's no hope for him, right? Well, he lived under great conviction for approximately a year. Imagine dealing with that for a year, holding it in. And then, bless God, the prophet Nathan in his courage steps up before David, boiling it all the way down and says, You're the man. You are the one. I am picturing with the story I just told you. You are an adulterer. You are a murderer. Imagine how that struck. Not that he didn't know it. He knew it. And intellectually, I guess he knew God knew it. But now God has sent his prophet to him to say, I know it. And you need to repent of it. See, David was a sinner just like the rest of us. A great sinner that we would say, right? 
But he found out, now this is anachronistic, but what John Newton said is true. I know two things. I am a great sinner, and he is a great Savior. So David repented, and he is therefore an example of one who lived the blessed life. Just as David, though he was an adulterer and a murderer. See, we shouldn't whitewash these guys' lives. It's, the truth is there for a reason. And it gives us hope as sinners that God will forgive us. David, though he was an adulterer and a murderer, found forgiveness. Found grace with God. David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Listen, if you're working for it, you won't have it. The Mormons are wrong. It's not that I do my best and God does the rest. My best is my problem. My load of filthy rags. God, look at that. God counts or credits. God, this is the best news you could ever hear. God credits righteousness apart from works. God takes Jesus' record and imputes it to us. So that before the judgment bar of God... We are righteous. And he does it as a free gift apart from works there. We've already shown that that encapsulates all works and I don't want to go back through that. Look up at verse 5. To the one who does not work, but, strong adversative, believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, just like Abraham, just like David, is counted, credited, as righteousness. Why? Because faith connects us to Christ. We're united to Christ through faith. Hidden in Him. His righteousness clothes us. So that when God looks before, from His judgment bar in His courtroom, He sees Christ's righteousness on our account. And therefore, counts us righteous. David speaks of the blessing. Remember, the one who has committed adultery, the one who has committed a murder, is now speaking of the blessing of God. Blessing of the one that is made righteous, that has the free gift of righteousness. Before we look at his quote from Psalm 32, I just want to remind you, where does this righteous come from? Well, I've said it's Christ, but just look back in chapter 3 at verse 21. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, testify. The righteousness of God, look at it, verse 22. The righteousness of God, the righteousness that God requires, perfect, full, complete obedience out of a heart of love and devotion, obedience to God's law from cradle to grave. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Jew and Gentile. When we trust in Christ by God's grace, we get Christ's righteousness. We get the righteousness of God credited to. His righteousness replaces our sin. 
See, David was not righteous based on his own works, and he knew it. His bones, spiritually speaking, were broken. He was crushed. He was living under conviction. He was hopeless. He didn't think there was a place to go with it. He was seriously sinful. But he was righteous when he repented. And God worked that repentance in him through his word and his prophet. God gifted him the repentance and faith that he required. Such that David was forgiven. David was righteous because God had given him a perfect substitute, Jesus. Therefore, David was blessed. He was blessed to be righteous in God's sight, even though he had committed great sin. As you can see, just like Abraham, David speaks of the blessing of, of God counting or crediting righteousness as a free gift apart from works. But we do need to ask the question, well then what about his sin? What about his sin? His sin was a real thing. It didn't just get swept under the rug. So the blessed life is not only having Christ's righteousness. It, the, number two, it's blessed, the blessed life is having Christ's atonement. And here Paul, Paul quotes from David's own words in Psalm 32. Imagine the relief. Imagine the relief in David's heart. He's lived with this for a year. He knows it's heinous sin. He probably thinks he has no hope. But through the word coming through the prophet, God has brought conviction intensified. Grief, yes, but repentance. So that David... Forgiven. See, this is the blessing without which there really is no blessed life. The blessing of both free righteousness, the gift of righteousness, and of forgiveness. Look at verse 7, quoting from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose violations of God's law are forgiven whose sins and whose sins are covered. And sometimes parallelism there in Hebrew poetry will help you. If you don't understand one line, read the next. If it's in parallel, um, it will be one line explaining the other and you get clarity. Sometimes it's antithetical and there's other things, so it's the opposite. But this one, those whose lawless deeds, look down in the latter part of the verse, whose sins, what do we mean by lawless deeds? Sins are forgiven, covered. They're out of sight. They're gone. As far as the east is from the west, they were placed on that lamb and gone. Sacrifice has been made for them. See, David's sin is forgiven and his sins are covered. And I know we've talked about before that in the Old Covenant they were covered and in the New Testament they were, New Testament they were atoned for. Christ is the only one who really dealt with sin. And when he dealt with it, he dealt with it. He didn't mostly deal with it. He didn't 99% deal with it. He 100% dealt with it for his people. Those who were given to him, those who would trust in him by God's grace, be gifted repentance and faith. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered.
That word blessed there means to enjoy a special advantage, to be favored by God. And in this context, how? What what is that favor of God that's going to produce in me not just a a, a shallow happiness, but a deep-seated joy and contentment in my God? Well, see, David says this in in verse 8, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God does not count the sin of His children who are trusting in Him against them. This is not a blanket Statement for all of you. Those of you who are not trusting in Jesus, this is not true of you. It will be counted against you. You need to repent and trust Christ. But I'm speaking primarily to the children of God this morning because we need this encouragement. Look at there. David's sin would not be counted against him. What relief. What restoration of joy. What unbelievable mercy. And grace. It wouldn't be counted against David because it was counted against another. See, and this is that great exchange I've been talking about. And we'll look more in in scriptures. But the reason we can be forgiven is that our sin was counted to Christ or credited to Christ. And he paid the penalty due our sin. So that then his righteousness could be Credited to us. Our record was erased of sin because that record went on the cross with Jesus and was obliterated. We get a new record. We get Christ's record of perfect perpetual obedience through faith. Our lawless deeds are credited to Christ when he went to the cross and dealt with him. David is rejoicing in his sins being forgiven, covered, out of sight, not counted against him. Even though he committed them and they were heinous, those sins would be counted to another. There would be a substitute. Remember the ram when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. A substitute took his place and paid the penalty. What did John say when he was speaking about Jesus? John the Baptist saw him coming. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now watch it. Who takes away the sins of the world. For John, world is Jew and Gentile. Same gospel, both types of people. Our lawless deeds, if we're trusting in Christ, are credited to Christ. And they went to the cross with Him. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. I'm just going to read these. I don't have time to do much more than that. But 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. All this is from God who through Christ, watch this, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the message, Paul? That is Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. How? Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of that reconciliation. Therefore, he's going to go and explain. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now watch this. For our sake, 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin. See, our sin imputed to him. He wasn't sinful. and It didn't make him sinful. He took our guilt upon himself as the Lamb of God. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin. We get his righteousness. To be reclothed in the righteousness of Christ and accepted into the family of God. Look at Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, notice our sinful condition before Christ, that's it. Dead, not mostly dead, really dead, not looking for Him. Any more than a body in a graveyard is doing anything or looking for anything. You were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now watch, God made alive together with Him. Watch, having forgiven us most of our trespasses. So that's the way we treat the gospel, isn't it? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now watch, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That record of all those times we had broken God's law and the penalty do that. Now watch what happened to it. That record of debt debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When Christ was nailed to the cross, my sin was nailed to the cross with him. My record of failure was nailed to the cross with him. And it was obliterated. The Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice made atonement for my sin. And He made it in full. And He made it before He left the cross. He said, to tell us die. It is finished. Paid in full. Not paid in part. Paid in full. That's the beauty of Christ's propitiation, of His atonement. He took the wrath due His people, the ones given to Him before the foundation of the world, that He would come and save. He took that wrath. He diverted that wrath. He stepped in the gap so that He took that condemnation that we deserve. And so that His righteousness might be credited to us, that we might be really and legally justified in God's courtroom and adopted into God's family, that we might be really forgiven for all of our sins and credited with His righteousness, that we might be in a position where, yes, we did sin and have sinned, but the Lord will not count our sins against us because we are trusting in Christ and are in Him. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, God will not count your sins against you. Now, He calls you to imitate that and not count others' sins against them. You better be as forgiving as He is. All sorts of parables about that. I don't care if you can't forget it. You're not called to forget it. You're called to forgive it. To place it on the cross with Jesus. And to treat them like He's paid for it. My record, the the record of debt, the record of what I was due before the holiness of God was nailed to the cross with Jesus. See, that's why Jesus came. 
We couldn't save ourselves. He came to fulfill His own law in thought, word, and deed. And He did so. And having provided a righteousness that would be suitable for His people, He now took their guilt upon Himself and went to that cross and paid the debt. He died for our sins. Don't be flippant with that statement. Because he was suffering the wrath due our sins while he was on that cross. And he could drink that cup dry. That cup he feared, reading the garden. He could drink it dry because he was God and man in one person. Who came to save his people and accomplished their redemption. So the bottom line again is in verse 8. Blessed is the man, woman, boy, Girl, blessed is the person against whom the Lord will not count his or her sin. There's one way to not have your sin counted against you. And it's to trust in the one who was sufficient to pay for it. There's only one way your sin won't count against you. And that's if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not a buffet. Where we go get us a little Buddha and a little little of that, a little of Jesus. No. He's not on a board. He's not a member of a group. He's not a bunch of choices. You will have Him or you won't have salvation. And if you don't like the narrowness of that, take it up with God. Because I didn't create it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Invent other ways if you want to. They won't pay off for you. Why would you want another way? Other than maybe we're just haughty and want to judge God. Wouldn't you want a king that would live for you? Fulfill all righteousness for you. Die for your sins. Pay the penalty you owe. Give you reconciliation with God. Eternal life as a free gift. Why would you want another? The fact is there is not another. There's a bunch of imposters. And there's Jesus. There's two religions. Something in my hands I bring. And nothing in my hands I bring. You best take nothing in your hands. Cling to Christ. He has a full and sufficient salvation. See, the blessed life is the life that has righteousness credited apart from works. The blessed life is the life that, of the person whose lawless deeds are forgiven. The blessed life is the life that the Lord won't count against you your sin. That's the only way to come to peace, to rest, to assurance, and to fruitfulness. See, there's a lot of people that will distract you about what the blessed life is. There's a lot of people flying in jets, stealing God's people's money. They're liars. They're wolves. They're heretics. Kenneth Copeland is one. There's a milder version in Joel Osteen. Joyce Meyer. Jesse Duplantis. What a name for a false teacher. Creflo Dollar. 
He wants your dollar. And He tells you if you'll give Him your dollar, you'll be blessed. Nehemiah would have pulled his hair out. Don't listen to stupid people saying stupid things who want to make your life all about this life and the stuff in this life. Who want to make sign of blessing your health, wealth, and prosperity. You can see that falls short of the blessed life. They don't preach the gospel. They might give it lip service. They won't talk about sin and condemnation and wrath and how much you need Jesus. I started to say, listen to them, you'll see. But no, don't listen to them. Listen to Paul. Listen to Jesus. Come to Christ. Be forgiven. Have His righteousness. See the blessed life. Whether you have anything, the most destitute person in the world who's about to die from sickness can have the blessed life. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of those are better off than a lot of people in America who want Jesus to rubber stamp their plan so that they can have it all. Oh, but if I get it all, I'll give some of it to the church. I tell you, listen to you, we don't want it. And we don't need it if it's coming from that sort of thing. If Kevin and Coughlin sent us a million dollars, I'd send it right back with a, note, with a gospel note. The blessed life is having righteousness credited to us as a gift. It's having our sin dealt with and removed from our record. It is cleansing and clothing in the free gift of Jesus. The blessing of God is the goodness of God in action, saving and preserving His people by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And the blessed life is believing the good news. And resting in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and enjoying the peace that I, that brings. The blessed life is being a partaker of justification by faith alone and rooting our hope there and in Christ alone. So let's review our question. What is justification? Now, I don't mind if you look. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Wherein, now watch for it. See if this is not what the Scriptures have been teaching us. Wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That is the blessed life. Meditate on that. Mind the riches of that. Live there that you are right with God because of Jesus. You're cleansed from your sin and clothed in His righteousness. It's all an act of God's grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You can't pay Him back for it. You're His child because of Christ. So our application this morning, we're going to focus more. We, we do communion, but spend number one. Number This is actually number two. Reviewing was number one. Spend some time medi meditating on the fact that before the judgment bar of God, you are as righteous as Jesus is if you have faith in Him. 
Spend some time. Meditate. What do I mean by meditating? We've got a lot of confusion these days. Go and concentrate on it and think about it. Don't try to empty your mind, fill your mind with God's truth. There's enough emptiness in there already, right? Ronald Reagan said, it's not that my opponents are ignorant, it's just that they know so much that didn't sow. We, <laughs> we know so much that didn't sow that needs to be replaced by things like this. Spend some time meditating on the fact that before God's judgment bar, if you're, if you're in Christ, this is true of you. If you're trusting in Christ, this is true of you. And there's no gradation in it. It's either zero or 100%. If you're trusting in Jesus, notice I didn't say if you have a perfect faith, if you never doubt, you know we'll never doubt when we're glorified. We're not glorified yet, we're growing in grace. Think about, meditate on the fact that before the judgment bar of God, you are as righteous as Jesus is if you have faith in Him. How in the world is that true? Because His record is credited to us. I'm either as righteous as He is or I'm not righteous. God's looking at the righteousness of Christ when He declares the believing sinner righteous. His righteousness has been credited to your account, so you are blessed. If that's true of you, you're living the blessed life. If you don't even have shoes. Number three, spend some time meditating on the fact that... Now watch this, really, own this. <laughs> Spend some time meditating on the fact that none of your sins will be counted against you. None of them will be counted against you. Why? They were all counted against Christ. No double jeopardy. None of them will be counted against you. They were counted against Christ on the cross. So if you're trusting in Jesus, not only do you have His righteousness, but all of your sin is dealt with. Now, in our sanctification, we begin to live out this reality and become what we already are positionally in God's courtroom. That's a whole other sermon. So I want to focus you on God's grace this morning. Number four, spend some time thanking God for saving you and delivering you into this blessed life. Believe it or not, you were dead in sin. You were not looking for God. Read Ephesians 2. But God. Salvation was not your idea. You weren't even there when He gave you to Jesus before the foundation of the world. When God planned salvation. Read John 17 if you don't think this is true. And He talks about those given to Him before the foundation of the world. Those are the ones He's praying for. Those are the ones He will bring to faith. Every, everybody deserves condemnation. And don't get too hung up on the fact that I'm chosen, they're not, he's not. She, God hadn't revealed that to us. The, what he's re, the reason he's revealed his choice of you to you is that you might rest in him. Not win a theological argument or not have everything figured out. It's just that you might rest in him. So thank God for saving you and delivering you into this blessed life. You, you were dead in sin, not looking for God, but God saved you. Salvation is not your idea. You are blessed. So you are credited with righteousness. You are forgiven because He set His love on you. He didn't look to see if you're worthy. Christ came to die for His enemies, Romans 5 says. We'll get there. 
You love Him. We know that we love Him because, a lot of you know that verse, because He first loved us. Stop wrestling with that and believe it. We can't, none of us can figure it all out. Number five, spend some time thanking Jesus for living for your righteousness and dying for your sin. So focus in on Christ with gratitude. You are truly blessed. If you have the righteousness of Christ credited to your account, if God will not count your sin against you because they've been credited to Christ, if God has set His love upon you and therefore bestowed His favor upon you, you are living the best life. You are living the blessed life. So your best life now has nothing to do with what you have. So you can sweep that book into the trash bin. Okay? I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm trying to deliver you. It's not a question of whether they're false teachers in the church. It's just which ones are they. But if you've been forgiven, if you've been clothed in God's righteousness, if God has set his favor upon you and will take you all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth, you are living in his blessing. You are living the blessed life. And if that's not true of you, no matter how much of this world's stuff you have, you are not living the blessed life. Reorient your thinking. Reorient your priorities. If God has blessed you with a lot of stuff, you don't have to feel guilty about that. Just use it rightly. Don't trust it. Don't trust it. Use it for Him. If God hadn't blessed you with a bunch of stuff, you've got everything He wanted you to have today. And you have everything you need to love and glorify Him. Because if you have the blessed life, you have everything you need. Are you living the blessed life today? I don't know. Okay, another question. Are you walking with daily confidence that Christ's righteousness is yours and that all of your sins are gone because of Him? And you know what? That's a daily meditation. We wake up every morning self-centered legalists. And we need to get our eyes off ourselves. And back on Jesus. And remember the gospel every morning. But listen, if you're living the blessed life, if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in Him, all of those things are true of you. So no matter the storms of this life, you're living the blessed life and it'll only get better from here. And if not, if you're honest enough to say, I'm not trusting in Christ or I don't know, turn to Christ. He says He will not turn away any who come to Him. He will cleanse you from all sin and He will clothe you in His own perfect righteousness. And you'll know you're His people because He has granted you faith and repentance. He will give you love for Him and trust in Him. And you can know that you're not just saved, but you are fully saved. Fully forgiven. Fully clothed in His righteousness. Fully one of His children. He's at work in you to make you like His Son. To live as Christ. Let's pray.
Lord, my prayer this morning is help us to believe the gospel. Some of us who've been walking with you for a long time have forgotten it. Some of us who've just begun to walk with you have forgotten it. Our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil want us to forget it. But I pray for every child of God under the sound of my voice that you would give us a great confidence in the truth of your gospel, that we have been cleansed from every sin. All of our sin went to the cross with Christ. You will not count any of our sin against us. And that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us and credited to us. Help us to rest in Christ, as the old Puritans would say. All of our hope, all of our joy, not looking around at our circumstances, but looking at Christ and interpreting everything through Him. That we would really believe, as we sang, that our sin was upon His shoulder. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Because Christ has finished it. Both my righteousness and my forgiveness are all due to you, Lord Jesus. And that's true for every one of us who are hoping in you. Help those who are not to hope in you. May today be the day of repentance, Lord, and faith. And help those of us who are to just really mire up in your grace, in your gospel, in who we are in Jesus, and who you are for us, Lord Jesus. And daily live in the reality that none of our sins will be counted against us and we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord, and your faithfulness to us, your love for us. Help us to really love you because you have first loved us. We give you praise, honor, and glory and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to transition to the Lord's Supper now. What we're going to do is celebrate Christ's purchase of the blessed life for us. His body broken, His blood shed, the fact that He is the Lamb of God, that He died for our sins. We proclaim His death as often as we do this. He communes with us and our faith is fortified. We feed on Him spiritually as we feed on the elements, believing afresh and anew that He died for me. Even though He was righteous, that His blood washes away all of my sin, that His righteousness clothes me. And so I partake of the meal to commune with Christ who has saved me. But by partaking of the meal, I am saying that I'm trusting in Jesus. So if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, nobody's going to stare at you. We're all going to be focused on God and His grace to us and the elements. If you're not trusting in Jesus, let it go by. Some were sick and some had died in Corinth because they were misusing the Lord's Supper. That's why we warn. I'm not saying if, if one of you who's not believing eats, God's going to kill you. But it, it's, it's, it's serious. It's a proclamation of the death of Christ until He comes. 
It, it's a communing with Christ and a feeding on Him. And it, 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 one element of it is a, a, a restatement of my trust in Him. If you are trusting in Jesus, we invite you to partake. You're members of a like-minded church. You, you don't have to be um, a member of Grace Church. If you're not a member of a church and you live locally, join one of them. We would invite you to join Grace Church. But church membership is biblical and important. But bottom line, if you're a Christian, partake of the meal. Have your faith fortified. Commune with Christ who loves you so. If you're not a Christian, let it pass and hear the gospel in it. And maybe this will be the day that you come to faith in Him. We're going to sing a couple of songs. Uh, and while we remain seated while we do that, the men are going to pass out the elements. Hold on to them till the end and we will partake together. Uh, but let's, let's sing from our heart and prepare our hearts to commune with Christ through His Supper. Let's sing together.